Hi guys and welcome back to the Female Fitness Podcast. Today I have the pleasure of being joined by Dr. Amelia Thompson. Amelia is an extremely knowledgeable coach in the industry. Um, Amelia, would you like to tell us a little bit about how you actually got into the industry and what type of clients you typically tend to work with? Sure. So thanks for that nice introduction. I like being called extremely knowledgeable. I don't think I've been called that for a while, so I'll take that. Thanks. Um, I got into the industry because I have a background of academia and science. So I did like nine years of study in sports science, sport nutrition and physiology and ended up coming out with my PhD um, about how many years ago? A scary amount of years ago, I think, maybe six years ago. And at the same time as doing that, I, I really wanted to work in elite sports. So I did a lot of work with kind of performance athletes and elite sports um, athletes, worked at the Olympics. And then I was kind of just like, this isn't the right thing for me. I don't really like working with egos. Somehow fell, fell into bodybuilding. I don't quite know how that worked. But I, I, can't, I didn't want to work in that field anymore. And I had a funny relationship with food myself. Even though I had the knowledge behind um, nutrition, I couldn't have any more knowledge. I struggled myself with implementing it for myself. And I went through a couple of personal struggles. And like a lot of people, I think, who fall into competing, they fall into it when life is not great and they find a sense of control with competing. And I think that happens a lot. Or with women especially, we fall into it because it gives us a, a sense of strength and purpose when other parts of our life maybe don't feel quite so controlled. So I was in Loughborough, which is really heavily focused on sport. And I started training and someone was like, oh, would you ever think about competing? You've got quite a nice shape. And so then I just you know you know what it's like the first time you do a show you're so naive and you're like yeah that'll be easy I'll just go and stand on stage in a bikini and everything and it will be really easy obviously that's not how it works but I started competing and then I competed for four years in bikini and I quit in 2018 so I quit two years ago um I finished like second at PCA finals and then I was like I can't get any better than this as an unenhanced 31 year old at the time it was kind of I've reached my potential with this um and so I stopped and I love the sport still and but as a, as a result of being in it I identified some of the issues with extreme dieting that I wasn't aware of before and nobody really spoke about so um you know yourself when you come out of a show and you'll know from yourself and with clients that often it's a really really hard time psychologically mentally and physically as well to transition from prep to off-season it comes with a lot of disordered eating habits for some people um, and your body image gets skewed everything is off and when I started competing nobody spoke about that at all it was like proper grind harder like no days off there was nothing authentic at that time at all and I was like why why am I like binging eating but after prep and I've just I haven't binged at all on prep everything's been great why is this happening and nobody spoke about it so I kind of fell into the research behind it to help myself initially and then just started talking about it a lot to try and get the message out there and that's kind of spiraled in the last couple of years and that tends to be the area that I now work in. Clients, not all my clients, but a lot of my clients who have body image issues or have done a lot of chronic dieting and they have maybe disordered eating habits or poor relationships with food, they tend to be the people that I work with now. Um, and they're the only competitors I work with as well. They tend to come to me in their off season and then I might prep them, but there'll only be a couple of them. So 
that was like that was not very condensed but I hope it made sense <laughs> yeah, that was great that was great so um obviously today during this podcast we are going to talk a little bit about what we can do to actually prioritize or almost protect our relationship with food whilst we're working to change our body composition however if somebody currently experiences issues with their relationship with food they don't have a very good relationship with food should they be dieting in the first place yeah so that's a really good question and often people think that dieting is a way to improve their relationship with food because they think that if they go on a meal plan, they can follow a meal plan and it sort of disguises any issues. And that happens quite a lot. It happens a lot in bodybuilding and competing. Um, sorry if you could hear the dogs barking. <laughs> I've tried to shut them out. Um, so it happens a lot in competing. And um, it's, it's difficult because how do you define a good relationship with food? You know, when you look at it, if you look at kind of classic eating disorders, um, specialists who talk about good relationships with food they talk about it not impacting your social life they talk about not restricting calories and you know it not being at the forefront of your mind but if you think about competing for example that is completely the opposite of what would be deemed as a healthy relationship with food so you have to be very it's yeah it's difficult to judge if someone has a good relationship with food in the first place but you know if somebody is really preoccupied with food they are, or especially if they're binge eating, and that would be once or twice a week potentially, or if not more, dieting and or competing is the worst thing that they can possibly do. You can, binge eating especially, you cannot fix binge eating um, issues if you are dieting. It, they're completely counterintuitive. If you're maybe on the kind of other end of the spectrum where maybe you just feel a bit, maybe you don't want to go out socializing because of food, for example, I still don't think you should be dieting at that point. I still think you should be working on getting to a point where you feel comfortable with, you know, you've got no food rules, you don't feel guilty around food. Um, you should get rid of all of that before you then diet because dieting does exacerbate these things. So anything that you've got underlying initially will be exacerbated when you diet. So the best thing to do is just eradicate it all. And it's completely doable. It's just that people want to quick fix or they really want to second stage or they really want to lose body fat they kind of just brush that stuff off. Um, and and again, people are scared to say that they've got these issues because they're scared that their coach is going to turn around and say, you should never compete. And people really want to compete. So, or you should never diet, for example. So it's important, I think, as well for coaches to say, you know, these, these eating habits don't stop somebody from ever being able to diet. But I like to work with people, you know, I want them to be in a, a place of comfort with the relationship with food for at least three months, four months before I would then diet them, um, regardless of what their kind of end point was with their diet. Yeah, definitely. And say somebody does have um, quite a poor relationship with food, maybe they're suffering from something like binge eating. How long, if there is, there might not be a definite answer to this, but as a rough guide, how long would you recommend that somebody actually spend without any poor eating habits before they consider entering a deficit yeah good question so like i said it's quite individual i tend to say roughly four months ish would be my if i was working with a client if they exhibited a really good relationship with food for about four months then i would say actually what i would tend to do then is maybe do like a mini cut and then see how they get on with that kind of phase and a post post mini cut phase which is a lot easier obviously because you just go straight back up um but i would say roughly four months which in the grand scheme of things especially if you're competing 
that's not even a full off season. So it's not a long time, but it can just take a lot. It can take a lot longer. And I'll work with clients, some clients for three months, but I'll work with some clients for two years and they're still finding they really want to nail their relationships with so they'll still find little things that they can work on. So it's very, very person specific. And often what you find with people is that when they get their relationship with food in a really good place, especially people who have dieted before, they then decide that they don't want to diet anymore because they've found that really happy space where they've got a good body image and they're comfortable with their food and they just don't want to exacerbate it again. Yeah. So it's very person specific. And actually, in a lot of cases, I think if somebody improves their relationship with food, their body composition will probably improve alongside that, especially if it's an issue such as binge eating. Mm, that's so true. And that's what I'll, I'll say to clients, you know, if they, if, they, if they feel that they're binging and they don't meet the, if they meet the criteria for binge eating disorder, that I would refer them to GP or an eating disorder specialist because it is an eating disorder. But if someone is more subjectively binging and it's or they're overeating and they class it as binging for example I would take those on and kind of reframe the situation but um I'll always say to them you know fat loss might be your goal but it's not your focus but if you get if we manage this you will probably get fat loss anyway and they just want to feel a lot of the time I think people just want to feel that they'll get to that point um but overeating episodes can be thousands of calories and it does add up, you know, and, and the, but the worst thing you can do is then try and restrict and diet it back off again. So it's a vicious, vicious circle that we, you know, you're very familiar with like the binge restrict cycle. It's, you need to stop the restriction to stop the binging. Yeah, definitely. So after somebody has improved their relationship with food, they've got it in a really good place or somebody that's never actually struggled, if they are about to enter a deficit, how can they actually um, prevent their relationship with food deteriorating what nutritional protocols could they implement yeah really good question there's some really clear ones that people like guidelines that people can follow straight off the first one is to make sure that your diet is flexible and we have kind of two different types of dietary restraint we have rigid dietary restraint which is like meal plans or fasting or having extreme food rules and then we have flexible dietary restraint which is you can eat there are no good foods and bad foods and you can eat the whole spectrum of foods and rigid dietary restraint is associated with increased risk of binge eating reduced um lower body image um it's actually associated as well with less fat loss so the more rigid you are often you you find that you don't actually get as, as successful fat loss because you have these rules and this increased risk of disordered eating as a result so Rigid dieting is, is awful, so meal, very specific meal plans is really bad. And I know that at the extreme ends, of, for example, competition prep, you're on pretty much the same meals a lot of the time. You know, for a short space of time, that might happen. But if you're entering a diet, it shouldn't be that way. So making sure that you are as flexible as you can. And also in terms of your health, that's so important. And I know that you practice like, like flexible nutrition because your micronutrients are so important and it's, when you go into a diet it's like micros just don't exist anymore yeah. but they are essential for our health and if you've got a flexible diet it's much healthier to be eating cereal oats you know bread than it is just to be eating white rice all the time the the fiber the other micronutrients that come with that are, are huge so that's kind of an essential kind of number one yeah um the second one which kind of ties into that is the 
kind of removal of this what we call dichotomous thinking around food so removal of having like black and white rules around foods so classically this would be like the cheat meal scenario the <laughs> i talk about cheat meals a lot and I, I bang on about it a lot because there is evidence that shows us that having these good foods and bad foods or cheap foods or treat foods whatever you want to call them again increases your risk of disordered eating with dieting because what happens is when you call it something like a cheat meal regardless of whether you do it flippantly or not you start to have these negative connotations with that food so you eat a pizza for your cheat meal and then you feel guilty for it so the next day you feel like you have to earn it back burn it off however you want to phrase it whereas and you're much more likely as well to eat the whole thing because you eat it out of guilt you don't enjoy it you just end up eating the whole thing past fullness and then you feel bad about it whereas if you say do you know what in this diet i'm gonna like i'm gonna allow myself to have a pizza if i really want a pizza giving yourself that permission to have it which isn't always possible again if we're talking more in the competing world that's not always possible but just saying you know if i want to have a meal that's not in my meal my meal normal meal structure that's fine and not calling it a cheat meal or having bad foods or good foods and that's quite difficult even to get out of the habit of that as a coach when someone says i've had a good week it's like you have to even pick that apart and say well what's a good week because you hit your habits or because you didn't eat like quote unquote bad foods so you have to be really on it as a coach but you also have to be really on it with yourself and, and having these food rules as soon as you say you know yourself as soon as you say i'm not going to eat something this week then you're like oh my god i really want to eat this thing all week so just removing that mentality and you don't have to exclude any foods inclusion is the best way to diet so that's the second thing um the third thing is um i would say practice being mindful with your eating and again i talk about mindful eating quite a lot and really what that means is just being present in the moment aware of what you're doing so when you sit down with a meal just sit down without distractions take your time share your food if you're having a conversation with someone you know put your cutlery down have the conversation then continue to eat and just take your time with it it's it's something that we often don't do anymore we sit with our phones and we scroll through our phones or we sit with the tv but not only does it help in terms of our digestion but if you look at the research and the researchers in overweight and obese people but when they follow a mindfulness-based program which includes things like mindful eating um, it also actually includes self-compassion and meditation as a kind of whole but when you look at the research it reduces the incidence of binge eating in these people when they are more mindful so keeping in mind binge eating is one of the main factors we're looking at potentially that increases the dieting being mindful with your meals are really important and it's so easy to do you know you can set yourself practically say like for breakfast every day i'm going to take 10 minutes to eat it i'm not going to watch tv and I'm just going to enjoy the taste and the smell and actually enjoy food because we're supposed to enjoy it and especially when we're dieting we eat the same things all the time we forget what things taste like we're just kind of shoveling it in because we're hungry and we've eaten it a hundred times before so practicing mindfulness is really important with your food and again kind of I suppose alongside that like I said with those that research that looked at mindful eating they also look at self-compassion and actually the impact of that on not only fat loss um, but also binge eating and the more compassionate you can be with yourself the lower the chance you have of, of um, picking up disordered eating habits and that's difficult when you are dieting 
especially when you've got a goal in your mind, often you can get frustrated with yourself if you go off plan or you get frustrated if your scale weight doesn't change or, you know, there's a lot of things your training session doesn't go well. But actually being compassionate with yourself and saying, I'm human, this is completely normal, I'm allowed to eat something and move on with it. It sounds so, sounds really airy-fairy, but it's associated with an improved body image and um, improved eating habits, improved relationship with food. So again, I talk about self-compassion all the time and self-compassion is not taking it easy. It's not about saying, I'm just going to do what I want because that's, you know, hashtag self-care. That's not what it is. It's about saying, and like I said, you know, we are all human. We all balls up sometimes. That's completely normal. I'm going to speak to myself kindly and accept that this is just normal and move forward with it. So that's really important. And I think a lot of them are not specifically nutritional strategies. They are, they are kind of, you know, you're still eating pretty much the same thing, flexible diet, but it's all the stuff you do around it and how you think about it that impacts actually the kind of outcome that you get from that diet. So it, I've had to sort of shout quite loud about it in terms of like the evidence behind it. Because when I first started talking about it, people were kind of like, mm, that just sounds airy mindfulness, meditation, all this stuff. But actually it is evidence-based. It's yeah. just that people don't want to accept it. I think it can sometimes be hard to get across some of those points as well, or make people implement some of those points in the bodybuilding industry because of the typical like grind harder style approach. And like, if you're working harder, you think that that's better and sometimes people can think that working harder is following a really rigid approach or you know making themselves feel hungry or whatever it is and that's one of the reasons it can be so hard to get the bodybuilding industry to follow these protocols mm, absolutely people want to look like and, but again it's a lot, a lot of it comes down to ego people want to look like they're working the hardest but you are still working hard you know you can't be fully mindful because being fully mindful of your food means you honor your hunger and your fullness you can't do that when you're dieting you're going to be hungry so it's not that you are com completely self-compassionate and completely mindful in this situation dieting is not conducive with those behaviors but implementing some of them means you're working just as hard as someone else it's just saying when you're knackered after you've done your your leg session and you need half an hour to lie down before you do something that's human, that's normal, it's because you've worked hard. It's not because you, you don't work hard enough and you need to work harder. Like it's, it just, it doesn't, make, it doesn't make sense. You know, I have clients who will get up on show day and meditate in the morning and then they go off and then they do, they place just as well as they would if they didn't meditate, but they feel a hell of a lot better and they enjoy the day a lot more. So it, I think it's never going to get buy-in from old school bodybuilding and that's okay. That's not who we're trying to really help. I think the important thing is that the awareness is there that people exist who can support people once they've gone through that process and realize what it does. I think it's, I find it quite hard to sit with when I know that people talk about cheat meals and they brush it off as sort of saying, you know, just whatever you want to call it, cheat meals, whatever. And these are kind of relatively respected coaches and, I, and I, it frustrates me a little bit because I think you are contributing to your client's bad relationship with food. And I think that's something that we all have to be aware of for ourselves if we're dieting ourselves or if we are coaches and we're coaching people. If we're not doing these things, if we're not promoting these things in some way, you know, not every coach is going to say, right, you know, you're going to, you're going to meditate every day. Like, I, that's not realistic. But if you're not, as a coach, saying, take, take some time with your meal 
once a day, you're not you're you're contributing to these issues that arise with dieting. And I think that's kind of the point I want to get to with the industry where we're not just brushing it off and saying that's the eighty three stuff that you can go through once you finish competing because competing is hard. That's not the that's not the case. Um, but you're right. I think it's it's really hard to get buy in. It's, yeah. yeah it's really hard <laughs> so as both people like people that are actively trying to change their body composition maybe they're competing or whatever and also as coaches you mentioned terminology such as cheat meals which shouldn't be used how can people go about changing their wording with things like that what could they use instead and are there any other specific terminologies that you would recommend people not use yeah good question and actually i get coaches asking this question quite a bit who are actually who appear old school but they're like they want to try and change that which is cool um it's difficult so i think things like having a social meal you know that's got really positive connotations to it if it's not a social meal and if it's pizza on your own you know an off-plan meal is fine as long as you are as long as you're framing it in a you have a you have permission to do that and um I think I think a social meal tends to be what I would work with with clients um, rather than anything else, just because I think it, it's just it's got a nice it's got a nice feel to it. Um, but it is personal preference, really. If you find off plan positive, then that then go with that. Um, or you can just say an untracked meal. Again, that's not negative. Got, that's not got negative connotations. It depends on your language as a coach and your relationship with clients. And if it's yourself, then saying, you know, literally just say, I'm going, to have, I'm going to take the night off, I'm going to have dinner with my boyfriend. That's all it has to be. It doesn't have to be, I'm going to just screw up on my diet on Saturday night and start again on Sunday. Like a, that's just the shift that you have to make. And it's, it takes work to kind of get into that headspace. Um, but yeah, it, you just have to call yourself out on it. In terms of other phrases, no, there aren't really a lot. Like I said, good food, bad food, like you, you don't want to say that. You can kind of say things like, you know, quote unquote, healthier, healthier foods, because realistically, we know, for example, really basic brown bread is healthier than white bread. It's got more fiber in it, right? So on a really basic level, that's what we're talking about here. But, you know, use things like more micronutrient dense yeah. rather than better foods or healthier foods. You know, that is a fact. Some foods are more micronutrient dense. And I think what I don't like about the industry at the moment, this analogy of calories being like money and like a bank balance, I think it's really important to understand that concept. And so people talking about it is important, but it's kind of taken over in the sense of food is more than just calories. And it doesn't matter if you're dieting or you're competing, you shouldn't just be thinking about balancing your bank balance at the end of the day, because you then again, completely negate to consider all the other important things that food does in terms of enjoyment, in terms of micronutrients, etc. So I think that's quite toxic, the extent to how much people push that kind of terminology. Yeah. Um, and, and then I think really, the only other thing I think is pretty detrimental is things like burning off. I think that's pretty bad. I think any concept of, especially when it's resistance training, resistance training is not about, as you know, it's not about burning calories. And I think any sort of, um, equating calories to resistance training whether it be burn off whether it be all that pizza went to my glutes all of this kind of idea that it's like you have to earn your food however you phrase it and I've been that person I've been like oh over Christmas like oh I can see where all that extra food went it just uh, I'm not criticizing people for doing it 
But I do think we have to be more mindful of that encourages this idea that we have to then do X, Y, and Z to earn something that's not necessarily in our meal plan, for example. So it's not not something specific. It's more just something I think we can all be a bit more aware of. Yeah. And what you said about um, food being more than just calories, I think that's really important. And I think it's another benefit of following like a more flexible approach to nutrition because people actually learn about what is in the food that they're consuming and the benefits, the pros and cons of each different food and why it might be slightly more beneficial during a certain phase or with a certain meal and why it might not be. And they actually learn the reason you know they learn more about nutrition than just following a meal plan where they know they eat x y and z for meal one two three four five Hmm, exactly that and also alongside all of that is people learn what makes them feel good and so for example so my housemate at the moment she's she's on she follows a keto diet because of for health reasons and when she eats carbs she feels crap but it's because of specific health reasons whereas I will just eat carbs all day every day and I feel fantastic and if I don't have them with a meal I feel horrendous and if you're just following a meal plan you can identify that for yourself I think it's really important for people to say you know what I had a bigger meal before training and that really made me help my training session or that made me feel sick before a train so that doesn't work for me I think that that power for people to take on for themselves even when they have a coach to say Food, food is supposed to make you feel good and it's supposed to be enjoyable so regardless of whether you're dieting or not use that time to identify what makes you feel good what makes you feel fuller for longer for example you know people always people who are dieting or are always looking at like food volume for example and trying to max out their food volume which is difficult to do if you're following a meal plan but then at the same time if you are somebody who is not dieting but you've come out of a dieting phase you might still focus on this food volume situation but actually reducing your food volume and increasing your fat intake might be better for your satiety as an example. So people need to be aware of this for themselves. And there's a lot of learning that you can do just from learning about food and having that flexible approach and tuning into how you actually feel rather than all of just this external targets all the time. So meal plan at this time or, you know, macro macro targets are an external trigger. Of course they are. But having that flexible approach to say you can meet these macros however you choose, maybe you want to have four servings of protein, for example, then the rest can come how you choose and however makes you feel good. It's really empowering for people and I think it's really important. Yeah, definitely. And do you think that having other targets, when you're working to change your body composition, having other like measures of progress or other targets, as well as just like body compositional measurements is beneficial for maintaining a good relationship with food throughout the process as well? Yeah, absolutely. So I know that you're a big proponent of, you know, logging your lifts and progressive overload, which is essential if you are looking at body composition, even if we took body image out of it, that's obviously an essential part of, of hypertrophy. But actually monitoring these factors, so monitoring your strength in the gym, thinking about, I did a post on this the other day actually about returning to the gym and thinking about other motivations to exercise away from body image. Even if your motivation is body image, there are other things you get from exercise. So it might be the mental health benefits, it might be the escape from work for an hour, it might be strength. Whatever it is, actually focusing on these things more so than body image improves your body image more than focusing on your body image. It's People think that changing their body image is what gives them a better body image, but that's not what, body image is not about your body. It's about how you see your body. It's not how people kind of process it. So they think that they'll see their body differently if it changes, 
but they won't they see their body differently when they choose to see their body differently so focusing on what your body can do and appreciating your body for example for allowing you to go to the gym or allowing you to go for a walk with your mum or whatever it is actually improves your body image more so it's not that body it's not that body composition doesn't have to it's a bad focus and you can still have that as your goal and fat fat loss as your goal but it's about saying that's not the most important thing if i focus on all of these other things body composition will fall in line with that as long as i'm doing obviously the, the calorie deficit at the end of the day yeah i think that's brilliant and i think it can be really easy for people to get carried away being really end goal focused especially when you have like a competition date and you're counting down the weeks until that competition it can be so easy to get wrapped up in that one day when in reality if you focus on the process itself you'll enjoy it a lot more and you'll probably get a better end product anyway yeah absolutely that's what i think is great about so we've kind of had a brief chat before this but what i think is great about like your social media for example you're one of the few female coaches i think who documents you don't really yes i know how many weeks out you are but it's not seven weeks out six days two hours whatever it is it's one post a week or whatever say this is how far out i am this is my physique then everything else is about your training your strength and i think that's what we need to see more of and again i think it, it kind of sets well it sets you apart as a, as a prep coach in the sense of you prioritize all of these other things and it sets me apart in the sense of i will prioritize the the mindfulness side of things and the quote unquote side of things because that's what we need to see more of and your body image you know I'm, i don't know if your body image has changed and how you see your body over time but it's not i imagine because you've gained so much muscle i imagine it's because of the work that you've done to think of yourself like that yeah definitely i completely agree and i think it's so important and so underrated and like he said you'll you'll see so many people posting literally how many like days weeks hours out they are and they're just so hyper focused on the end goal and then when it gets to the end of their prep they no longer have that end goal and they feel so lost whereas Mm -hmm. if you actually focus on the process and enjoy that and enjoy the benefits that that brings you that process continues post-show, so you don't feel absolutely. so lost anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, if we look at it in a grand scheme of things, this is all your life. And if you're somebody who is planning to compete or wants to diet every year for holidays or whatever it is, that's a huge chunk of your life that you are, you know, you don't have to miss out on life when you're dieting. You can be social, but there are obviously certain yeah. um, restrictions, of course, that come with that. But if you're choosing to do say a six month prep and you are literally focused on that one day you know I'm I'm 33 like I'm not old but there are times when I think god that was six months of my life that I didn't do anything you know my first prep for example when I was hyper focused and I learned not to do that after that I just think god I didn't have birthday cake I didn't like I didn't celebrate my birthday I didn't celebrate my PhD because I was prepping for this one day and it's it's a shame to miss so much of your life when you don't have to so you have to kind of keep that grander scheme of things and just think this is still my life and I still deserve to enjoy it even if I find dying tough there are so many other aspects of life that you should be focusing on that you can still enjoy the process yeah definitely I completely agree and so when someone is pursuing a fat loss phase that could be a competition prep it could not be are there any sort of warning signs that they should look out for which might mean that their relationship with food is starting to suffer a little bit yeah again good question i think that often 
we don't want to acknowledge it. So I think if you're working with a coach, first off, it's really important that you have that open dialogue with your coach and you trust your coach that you can say, do you know what, this happened last night and I don't feel right about it. Um, it's really important that you have that dialogue with a coach or with, you know, you feel comfortable with yourself that you can identify these habits. And really what you're looking at is if you are completely obsessed with food, say you are, say you're, pre again, we'll go with show prep. If you are six months out from a show and you maybe you've got a lot of body fat to lose and you start prepping six months out, as an example. If you're five months out then and you are not socializing and you are consumed with thoughts about food, um, you feel stressed if you are not 100% on your macros, then that would be a trigger to me that think, that I would think that's not that's not healthy behavior at five months before you compete because how is that going to escalate in another month and another five months? If you are a month out from a show and you've still got quite a bit of body fat to lose and you get annoyed at yourself because you go slightly over your macros, that's almost understandable and it's not great. You don't want to get annoyed at yourself. You are human, move on. But a month maybe closer to your show, it's a bit more understandable. Yeah. Um, if you are doing things like eating in secret, so if you say you say you live with a partner and they know you're dieting, and then what you find is that maybe you go to Tesco and then you maybe have like you get some Krispy Kremes and you eat them in the car on the way home, and then you'll just go home to your partner and live like a normal life. That would be a warning sign that says you know you're eating in secret. That's that's not a great sign. That means you probably feel guilty about it and if you feel guilty about what you're eating now again that's only going to exacerbate yeah. um and then of course if you are overeating or what you feel like is binging on a regular basis or even if that just starts to pick up and you think oh i overate last night i'm not sure if it was to that to an excessive extent just be mindful of that and and noticing that if you continue to overeat and you continue to have these episodes or the increase in intensity or um volume then again that would be a trigger that says you know maybe you need to take a break and actually thinking about your earlier question when we we're talking about things that people can do to support their dieting one thing that is really helpful as well is taking regular diet breaks yeah. so you'll do that with your clients but just bringing people back up to maintenance for a little bit and i know that you did one yourself actually quite recently not that i stalk your social media but i do pay attention <laughs> and um but having these regular diet breaks we come back up to maintenance you can really nourish yourself with your food but that can also support your relationship with food because you you know the initial few days is always a bit tough where you go i'm eating a lot of food here and it's a bit mentally stimulating shall we say but if you can then move past those first few days and take a couple of weeks where you eat at maintenance that can be really helpful for your relationship with food as well yeah definitely um and that can also have its own body composition benefits anyway and like it can also benefit training performance and things like that so diet breaks you know longer than two day refeeds can be really good tools to utilize through a fat loss phase for more than just you know looking after your relationship with food but that is incredibly important in itself yeah um, absolutely that so once somebody sort of if somebody does notice problems with their relationship with food and they are concerned or as a coach if somebody notices some changes in their client where can they go and where should they refer their clients to yeah so it really it it really depends what the, the very best kind of port of call if you think someone has um 
uh, an eating disorder they've developed an eating disorder the beat website b-e-a-t website they have online advisors that you can actually chat to so your client themselves can chat to them and say this is what i'm experiencing what do you suggest and they are um able to direct you and, and suggest potentially if you if they think that you have an eating disorder or signs of eating disorder they will recommend most likely going through your gp if it's if it's less if it's on the kind of lower end of the spectrum and someone's just having maybe they feel they don't feel quite right or you think that there's something not quite right there with their language or their eating habits then you know you can firstly manage that yourself and take them out of a deficit or take yourself out of a deficit come back to maintenance for a while and just kind of sit there and see how that feels I will do that with some clients or some clients I'll just remove tracking for a while and that's all they need to do. It's very, very person specific. Um, but you, you can look at that on the kind of lighter end of the spectrum, like I said, and just, just do that yourself. Yeah. Um, I, really, this, this is not meant to sound in a conceited way, but like myself and, and the coaches that I work with under my team, we don't work with people with eating disorders, but we work with people who can't get support because they don't reach the eating disorder classifications and their gps maybe haven't helped them and um, all of our instagram pages even you know if you've already got a coach just following our instagram pages we will always put things out there that support relationships with food um and then there's a dietitian who is fantastic who specializes in eating disorders and disordered eating called rachel ann hobbs and she's fantastic she's also on instagram i think you look like you know who she is she's fantastic um and she is a dietitian so she can work with people who have eating disorders and so if i think somebody is is too advanced in that sense to work with me or my coaches then i would refer them to rachel there aren't a lot of the issue I think is that a lot of people who are clinical don't understand often or they, they can't empathize so well with especially the bodybuilding world or the dieting world and it almost creates a bit of a barrier for people to get the help that they want yeah. um, and, and obviously people who have come from the dieting world often feel like they're then being pushed into an anti-diet world where they don't want to be either so it's quite difficult like I said Rachel Ann Hobbs is fantastic and it's just important for yourself and for your coach to pick up on like the small things that maybe are you slightly get a bit concerned about and monitoring that over time. Yeah, definitely. And so when someone has sort of achieved their fat loss goals, maybe they've had a photo shoot, a competition or whatever, what can they do post diet to try and prioritize their relationship with food? Yeah, also a very good question. Um, so it's going to be person specific again. I think the, the key thing and something that I speak to a lot of competitors about is the idea, you know what a reverse diet is, you know what a real reverse diet is, but people don't seem to understand what a reverse diet is. And you still have these old school coaches or misinformed prep coaches who are PTs with no nutrition qualifications who then say, let's reverse diet you, you finish your diet on 1300 calories, so we're going to go to 1350 then we're going to go to 1400 and it's going to take us six months to get you back up to maintenance calories like, and then what you end up doing is people then end up going 1350 1350 two and a half thousand 1350 1350 rather than just saying let's get you out of your deficit back up to your new maintenance calories and we'll start there because you're not on a diet anymore and you're not supposed to be a deficit anymore so bringing your reverse diet in line with what a reverse diet is supposed to be and bringing your calories back up to maintenance straight away is really important psychologically that can be quite tough for some people and you might want to sit maybe slightly below maintenance just even 100 calories lower than maintenance just so people 
feel psychologically better. It won't make a huge difference. But especially if you compete and you're very lean, it can be it can feel like a big jump in food volume. So that's the most that's the most important thing. Some people will be better just coming away from tracking immediately. And I have clients who have competed before a couple of times with me who we've learned that actually post show you score right, you're gonna start you're just gonna start listening to your internal cues again, which means that they will gain weight faster because after a diet you are physiologically hungrier. But then it it recovers a lot faster. And so you tend to get the spike in weight and then it just comes back down and you kind of settle before people potentially who have maybe taken a slower reverse diet. But it takes a bit of it takes it takes a lot of client trust in themselves and you as a coach to say this is going to happen, you're going to gain weight, but actually your internal cues will regulate a lot faster if you just do this. So I don't have a lot of clients to do that. Um, but it can be helpful for some people to do it. And intuitive eating itself is associated with improved body image, reduced disordered eating. Um, so it is a helpful thing to do. If you're not doing it at that point, you should be doing it in your off season for at least you know a couple of months of not tracking. It's a really important tool to be able to, to kind of use. And the other thing is looking at if you come out of a comp prep and you've been eating kind of roughly the same foods, by the end of the comp prep or a diet phase, you're probably eating a lot of the same stuff. The best thing to do after you finish dieting is just to increase the volume of those foods rather than saying, I'm going to just eat as much as I can of all the stuff that I've been deprived of. Just saying, you know what, I'm just going to increase the volume because you get so much food for the amount, you know, for your new maintenance calories, you get so much food of the old stuff that you've been eating all along that actually you, your hunger is really, really supported and you find that you'll have less cravings and it's just easier to stick to at least for the first couple of weeks to month, just keep that in, keep most of the foods the same. I don't mean completely, but just, you know, your main meals and just increase the volume with that. Um, those two things are kind of really important in terms of nutritional strategies. And then again, self-compassion at that point is so important and so is mindful eating because you are going to feel crap probably. You are going to have skewed body image probably you are going to be hungrier and you're going to find it hard to stick to your your macros that's just we all go through it it's horrible it's why i don't really diet anymore because i hate i hate that phase and it doesn't matter how mindful you are it's still tough so again practicing mindful eating um making sure that if you do find that you're having overeating episodes that you look at you don't try and restrict you just maybe look at actually increasing your calories day to day that's the best thing that you can do and like I said, being compassionate with yourself, saying, you know, this is normal post-diet and it's okay. And getting a little bit more help maybe if it's something that consumes you. Yeah. And I think going back to what we discussed earlier as well, it's about carrying on implementing those tools, which you spoke about in regards to eating slowly, being mindful, meditating. Don't just throw those out the window because the diet is over, like continue using those. Um, and being Absolutely. more process focused again because if you're focused on more your training performance your recovery etc that will result in more progress in itself and a better healthier process yeah absolutely process like process-based goals and habits are so important and i know we've said that before so i'm not going to repeat it but again also focusing on other values you know your values people don't really know what their values are anymore and you know, you have to know your core values. So maybe your core value when you're dieting is competing or it's aesthetics. 
And that's okay short term, but that, that um, you can't prioritize all your values all at once. That means maybe financially you're going to take a hit because your workload has to reduce. It might mean that your relationships take a hit because you've got no sex drive because you're competing in a month. And so those things drop down in importance. But after your show, look at your values again and say, right, what's taking a hit here? My relationships are taking a hit. How can I use this post-show time to support these other values in my life? Right, I'm going to have date night or whatever. I say that like I know what that is anymore. But, you know, you can look at these other values or maybe I'll take on some more work because I've got more energy now and shift in your values. But that does take a bit of inner work to say, this is what's important to me right now and this is how it shifted. But it's, it's along the same lines as those process-based goals in the sense of really focusing on these other things rather than your body composition. Yeah. And going back to values as well, I think it's really important for people to make sure that their goals actually align with their values in the first place. Like, don't pursue a contest prep if that's not in line with what you really, really value deep down. Yeah. If you value health, relationships... Well, usually health or relationships or maybe life experience or something, I don't know. If they are your top values right now, that's great for you. But competing is not, you're going to find it very, very hard to compete because those things will take a hit. You won't be as good as you potentially could be because of that. You won't enjoy it as much. And it's not to say that those things will always be your priority. But for now, if those are your values, that's awesome for you. Focus on those things. And then when aesthetics becomes maybe more of a focus or you want that, goal of winning a show for example then then you can start competition prep yeah I think that's really great advice and it has been fantastic having you on the podcast today Amelia I think this has been a really valuable episode and I'm looking forward to sharing it where can people find you on social media your website etc yeah um thanks for having me first of all it's fun i've not done a podcast for a while actually i was a little bit i was a little bit nervous before it came on but then it's because it's you i'm quite happy um so my instagram is emilia thompson phd and my website is emilia.fitness and also eiqnutrition.com we run a nutrition course which is i run it with emma story gordon and it's um more of a holistic based nutrition course so it includes things like mindfulness compassion as well as kind of nutrition fundamentals basically what we've been speaking about today yeah so for anyone interested in finding amelia or getting on her nutrition course i will put all of her information down below thank you so much for listening guys and i will see you in the next one